0: Bible and turn to Psalm 113. That's going to be our main text this morning. Uh, We're actually going to have a spot in the sermon where we go through a lot of passages, a lot of psalms, but if you want to turn to one, we're going to read through Psalms 113 as the sermon goes on. So again, happy Father's Day if you missed that during the welcome. So it's a special day for some, and I know that's a hard day for others, and our prayers are with you, and we hope that just today will be a good day for you. And we're excited to I'm excited this morning to study through some of these Psalms. Um, The Psalms are an important book, uh, or five books, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. The Psalms are a place where we can be open and honest with God. The Psalms are a place where we can worship and let our hearts spill out to God. And we're going to talk about that this morning, and then we're going to look at another Psalm next Sunday. So this past Tuesday night, we had a church softball game. And I, and that means I had to run around the bases a few times and that's something I'm not used to doing full speed. So I woke up Wednesday morning and my leg was really sore. My quads, hamstrings, glutes, all those muscles, you throw them in there, I, they were hurting. So I woke up and I limped into the living room and I sat down to play with the kids for a few moments. And then Jessica said, did you forget to take out the trash? And at that time, I could hear the trash truck driving down our street. And we live in White Oak, and I don't know why it is, but they only come once a week on Wednesday mornings. You know, Mount Pleasant, they came twice a week. So if you're a city official for White Oak, you might look into that. But (laughs) once a week, you miss your shot, you know, and you're doomed. So I jumped up, and I ran full speed out the door, and I'm limping because I'm hurting. I grabbed the trash bin, and I'm waving them down because they're already passing my house, and I'm like limp running towards them, almost falling into them. They stopped, threw my trash away for me, and I was very thankful. It was a little embarrassing for any neighbors that saw it. You You guys may not have seen it down the road from us, but a little embarrassing, but also just painful, but it was worth it, and why was it worth it? Because we don't want to see or to smell our trash. We like being able to move our trash out to the curb, go to work, and then come home and it's magically disappeared. What does trash represent? It represents something that's old and nasty and maybe food that is molded, something that we don't want anymore. For us, trash represents a lot of poopy diapers, and we definitely want to get rid of that. In the city of Chicago back in 2003, the trash haulers went on strike. There was a dispute going on with how they were treated and how they were being paid, so they decided they would go on strike. And after just a few days, the city of Chicago and the suburbs of Chicago started to look like this. The trash was piling up everywhere. The smell was rising in the city, and those little critters that like to come around, the bugs and the animals were finding their way to the trash. So the people of Chicago wanted something to be settled and something to be settled quickly, and when they worked out the contract with the trash haulers, the citizens of Chicago had a newfound appreciation for what they do. Because we don't want to see our trash, we don't want to smell our trash, we just want it out of sight, out of mind. Our key verse for this morning is Psalm 113 and verse 7. The psalmist writes, he lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. That's our key verse this morning. Now, if you have a different translation, it might say he lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the ash heap. This is the New Living translation, the one that I have up on the screen. And any commentator would tell you the ash heap in the ancient world, that is the city dump. That's the garbage dump. So literally what this verse is saying is he, being God, this is what God does. He lifts up the poor from the dust and the needy from the city dump, from the garbage dump. Now, that's great that God does that, but why would God need to do that? Why would anybody spend time in trash? We try to get rid of our trash. We want it out of sight, out of mind, so why would anybody be in a garbage dump? Unfortunately, we live in a world, whether or not you realize this, where sometimes people's lives are reduced to living out of the trash. The first time I ever left the country, I went to the Dominican Republic. Um, And it was a very eye-opening experience for me. You know, I'd grown up in the U.S., and Uh, You know, we were a middle-class family, so I would consider myself not rich, and, you know, I leave the country, and I'm seeing all this poverty for the first time, and I'm thinking, man, we are rich no matter what we are in the U.S., and so it's an eye-opening experience, but about halfway through the week, the missionary we were working with told us that we were going to make sandwiches, fill up these big coolers full of water, we're going to travel two hours to this large city where they have a city dump, and we're going to go feed the people there that live there, the dump dwellers is what they're called, um, and then have a time of worship with them. So in my mind, I'm thinking, sounds great. I don't really know what to expect. Uh, but I'll never forget that day. When we pulled into the city dump, we're on this big truck with all these ACU students in the back. And then you can just smell you know, the garbage coming up at you. I, every time I smell garbage, you know, I have those flashbacks to this day. And there's people everywhere. Men, women, children. And when they see that truck, they recognize the truck because that missionary would go there every week. They took off running full speed towards us. And it's like the road never ended. He just kept going deeper and deeper into the dump and then finally stopped. And our truck, you know, was open on the sides. And so as soon as we stopped, we were just surrounded by people with their arms coming through the truck, truck begging for water. You know, begging for something to eat. So that smell, that experience, the fact that people actually lived in a city dump, you know, we fed them, we gave them something to drink, we got out of the truck. Some people stayed in the truck because the smell and the whole experience was too overwhelming. But if you got out of the truck, we went and we had a worship service. And that was a very meaningful worship service. You know, sometimes you mix up the setting and the people that you're with and it makes you think about things a little differently. So these people actually lived in a city dump. So when I read Psalms 113, verse 7, having experienced it and seen it and seen that poverty, you know, I read Psalm 113, verse 7 through a different lens. But I also read Psalm 113, verse 7 and all the Psalms differently because of Jesus. We read the Psalms through the lens of Jesus. And you look at Psalms like this and you say, That's a lot of Jesus. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. That sounds a lot like Jesus' ministry. The people that he would reach, the places that he would travel to, that he would pay attention to. Now, in order for us to have a full, I think, understanding of Psalm 113, I'm going to take a step back. I want to look at the book of Psalms as a whole, and then I want to look at the book of Psalms through the, the lens the New Testament writers, how they look at the Psalms, and then we're going to come back to Psalm 113. So let's look at the book of Psalms as a whole. It was the church's original hymn book. You see, these songs that were written, as I mentioned from the intro, were, were meant to, to be worship songs. As Tony has led us in the singing this morning, a lot of these songs are taken from the Psalms. So in ancient Judaism, in the time of Jesus, and in the early days of the church, when they would go to synagogue, when they would go to the temple, the songs they would sing came from the Psalms. Jesus and his contemporaries knew the Psalms inside and out. They had them memorized. They would sing them as worship. They would pray them as a part of their prayer lives. They were very familiar with the Psalms. There's 150 chapters which means there's 150 psalms, and they're divided into five books. And this is a very ancient Hebraic Jewish way of dividing the books up because uh, this is kind of giving a high five back to the law of Moses. You know, the Torah, There's the first five books in the Old Testament, that's the law of Moses. So anytime you see that number five throughout the Old and New Testament, it's kind of symbolizing the Torah. So there's 150 psalms divided into five books, and there's all sorts of genres. There's all sorts of types of psalms that you have. As you read through them, as you study through them, you'll notice they're not all the same. Some are just classified as hymns. About 40 of the 150 psalms are considered hymns, but about a third of the psalms are laments. And this is both individual and communal laments you find in the psalms. A lament is is where you're really crying out to God. You're voicing your frustration. As I've heard other speakers say before, it's okay to tell God what you really feel because that's what we see in Psalms. That's what we see in these laments. But we also have Psalms of Thanksgiving, both individual and communal Psalms of Thanksgiving. You know, this is, These are the Psalms that we read around Thanksgiving time each year, just giving praise to God for who He is. There are Psalms of trust during the hard times in life where maybe they would normally lament, whatever they need to lament about is pushed down to secondary importance, and they're just going to trust in God. So you see those psalms. We see the royal psalms that have to do with David and who David was as a king and his kingdom. We have psalms of wisdom, and we have what we would call messianic psalms. These are the psalms that are reinterpreted through the lens of Jesus, of the Messiah. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, those are the types of psalms. And as you read through them, you notice, you know, they're not all just written in a paragraph form like maybe we would in English. It's Hebrew poetry. You know, some psalms are acrostics, which we miss in our English language. But it would take the Hebrew alphabet, and each line would be the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So, we don't really see that in our own translation. Some Psalms are thought lines where you have two lines that are saying the same thing, same thought, just worded differently. So, take our passage for this morning, Psalm 113, verse 7, and that's a thought line. He lifts the poor from the dust, and the next line, He lifts the needy from the garbage dump. Same thought, two different lines. So there's just kind of a brief overview of the book of Psalms, all 150 of them, all the different types of Psalms that you read, divided into these five books, but then you get to the New Testament, and the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah are the two most widely quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. And most of the time in the New Testament, when they're quoting something from Psalms or something from the Old Testament, they quote from the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation. So if you're ever reading from the New Testament and you go back and you look at the original Old Testament passage, sometimes the wording is a little different. Because we have a Hebrew translation, they're translating from the Greek, and some of you may not care about that, but that's just a little tidbit for you. But the New Testament writers viewed the Psalms through a different lens. It's almost like they take the original psalms out of its original setting and they reinterpret it because that's what Jesus taught them to do. In Luke 24, after Jesus resurrected, he walks on the road to Emmaus and these two guys, they don't know who he is, they don't recognize him, and he's teaching them how he fulfills everything, and then he appears to the other disciples. And in Luke 24, verse 44 and 45, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So what Jesus is teaching them, he's opening their eyes to see that how he fulfills the Torah, all what the prophets teach, and the Psalms, what we're looking at this morning. And then it says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So what the New Testament writers write in their different letters, and when they quote the Old Testament, they're doing what Jesus taught them to do. So let me go through a few Psalms, and then I'll show you from what's written in the Psalms. It'll be on the PowerPoint. And then I'll give you the New Testament reference, and you can see how often they quote Psalms. Psalms 2-7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Sound familiar? If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know God says this to Jesus at the baptism, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Paul quotes this passage in Acts chapter 13 when he's given one of his sermons. He's saying Psalms 2-7 is about Jesus. Jesus is the son, and God is claiming him as son, becoming his father. The Hebrew writer who often quotes the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, in Hebrews 1, 5, Hebrews 5, 5, quotes Psalms 2, 7, reinterpreted through the lens of Jesus. Psalms 16, verse 8 through 11, I'll just read verse 10. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Sound familiar? This is quoted in the New Testament. Uh, Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2 when Peter's giving what we call the first gospel sermon to a group of people that he's saying, you killed Jesus. But he was the anointed one, and his body did not see decay. See, it says it here in Psalm 16, and then Peter quotes Psalm 16. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You take its original setting in Psalm 22 and what it originally meant, but in the New Testament... In the Gospels in Matthew twenty seven forty six, this is Jesus on the cross. Jesus, according to Matthew, is fulfilling what the psalmist wrote in Psalm twenty two verse one, Psalm thirty four verse twenty. He protects all of his bones; not one of them will be broken. Does that sound familiar? That's in the New Testament. In John chapter 19, verse 36, when they take Jesus down off of the cross, they don't have to break his legs because he's already dead. You know, normally they would break the legs to finish out that death process, but they didn't have to do that with Jesus. And John says, that's fulfilling Psalm 34, verse 20. He's reinterpreting it. He's viewing it through the lens of Jesus. Psalm 69, verse 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. This is fulfilled Matthew 27, Matthew says, Jesus on the cross being offered this to drink is fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 21. Psalm 110, verse 1, probably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus himself quoted this passage in Matthew and in Luke. And he quotes it about himself. Peter quotes this passage in that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, and he says that psalm, Psalm 110 verse 1, is about Jesus. And then the Hebrew writer does the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1, now viewing it through the lens of Jesus. The Hebrew writer does it again in Hebrews chapter 7. He quotes Psalm 110 verse 4, "You are, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If you're wondering what all that business is about, well, the Hebrew writer says that's about Jesus. He's a high priest and he comes through a different line and that's Psalm 110, verse 4. And then finally, Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Peter and John quote this passage when they're preaching in Acts chapter 4. They say, Jesus is the cornerstone, and when the people they're preaching to, he's saying, you rejected the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118, and Jesus fulfills it. And where do they get that from? Well, Jesus teaches them this in Matthew 21, verse 42. So there's a little bit of an overview of the Psalms, right? We have the Psalms, we read them, we have it translated into English, but then you read the Psalms in the New Testament and it seems like the way the New Testament writers are reading the psalms is they're reinterpreting it through the lens of Jesus. It has a new meaning, a deeper meaning now, that the Messiah has come and fulfilled these psalms. Uh, several centuries ago, a man named Isaac Watts, maybe you've heard of that name if you look at some of the hymns in the hymn book, because he, he wrote a lot of them. He wrote a book called The Psalms of David, imitated in New Testament language. So he took all 150 psalms and he tried to rewrite them through the lens of Jesus with a New Testament meaning. And so if you look at like Psalm 98, that's where we get the song Joy to the World. It's because Isaac Watts went back through and he tried to view the psalms through the lens of Jesus, the Messiah who has come, who has fulfilled these psalms. So now we're back to our our main chapter here, which I want to read, but I wanted to give you that overview because I want us, as we study these psalms this morning, I want us to understand it in light of who we are as followers of Jesus and how we understand these psalms through the lens of Jesus. So let's begin in Psalm 113, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. God is worthy of our praise all day long. That's this type of worship here. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? So God himself, Yahweh, he's seated on high. He's above all nations, above all earthly kings. And earthly kings were powerful, and the average person did not have access to an earthly king. And so the psalmist is saying, God is worthy of being praised. He's higher than any earthly kings. He's powerful. He's transcendent. But then in verse 6, it says, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Now that's a new revised standard version, but the NIV and other versions say he stoops down. He stoops down from the heaven and the earth. So it's like the first five verses are showing us that God is powerful. He's transcendent. He's worthy of our praise. But then in verse 6, he's close. He's near. He stoops down to where we are. A man named N. Morgan Crone wrote a book called Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. Sounds like an awesome title. He's kind of sharing his story in this book. And Uh, He had some pains, some wounds deep within him that he dealt with in his life. Uh, His father was an alcoholic, and he was angry with his father, and as a result, he was angry with God. He spent many years being angry at God. So he identified with the Psalms. He was having a conversation with a lady one day and explained to him some of his frustrations, some of his pains, and this lady said, Love always stoops love stoops. So she said, you're in pain, you're hurting, but God stoops to where you are and meets you where you are. That's how much God loves you. He stoops. He's not just far off and and not able to to reach him, but God is here. He's close. Love stoops. And we reinterpret that, Psalm 113, verse 6, through the lens of Jesus. And look at The Gospel of John, for example, in John chapter 8, this woman's caught in adultery. They throw her before Jesus, and they're ready to stone her. And they're asking Jesus, what should we do, and what does Jesus do? He stoops. He stoops to the ground and begins to write in the dirt. In John chapter 13, before Jesus is going to be crucified, he's in this room with his disciples, and what does Jesus do? He stoops, and he washes his disciples' feet. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was the very nature of God. He was equal with God, but what does he do? He considers himself nothing. He becomes like us in order to rescue and to save us. Love stoops. So Psalm 113 verse 6 says that although God is transcendent and worthy of praise and he's higher than any other earthly kings, he stoops to where we are. He reaches us. And then we get to Psalm 113 verse 7 He stoops, and then in verse 7, he raises up. It says, he raises the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump, or the ash heap. So that term, ash heap, which is also the garbage dump. You know, the trash was constantly burning, so there were ashes in the garbage dump. So those ashes would be warmed by the sun at night, or during the day, so at night, for those living in the garbage dump, they were kept warm from those ashes. The garbage dump, the ash heap, was a place, was home, not only to trash, but the world's most unwanted people. The poorest of the poor, the diseased, the people whose lives had been reduced to living in the trash. In the New Testament, there's this word, this Greek word, Gehenna. Jesus used this word quite often in the Gospels. Gehenna is translated in English as Hell. So every time Jesus says hell in the, in the Gospels, it's this Greek word Gehenna. And Gehenna was a literal place. It was the southwest part of Jerusalem. It was the city dump where they were constantly burning trash. So it's like the best example that Jesus could think of for hell was the city dump outside of Jerusalem. So people living in the city dump reduced to that who need to be lifted up out of that. It's almost like they were living, on a hell, living in a hell on earth. So, you know, when I was younger, I went to the Dominican Republic, had that experience in the garbage dump that day, and seeing the people that lived there. And then many years later, when we were in Kigali, in Africa, we went to the city dump. Uh, We worked with street kids, and most of the street kids lived and were raised in the dump. But they would come to us, and we would work with them. But I really wanted to go to them. The city dump in Kigali was up on top of this mountain. But every time I asked somebody to take me to the city dump, they said it was too dangerous. Because it was up on top of the mountain, so they had that leverage. And every time the police tried to come up there, they would, you know, pelt them with rocks. And so the police stopped going up there. So it was basically a land of Lawlessness. But it's where these kids were coming from. So finally I convinced someone to take me to the dump. We brought some food and some water with us. And we were just going to go out there and hand out food and water and try to make some connections. So we started hiking up the side of this mountain. And that smell came back to me. You know, the garbage smell. So those memories of the days in the Dominican Republic were coming back. And as we hiked up this mountain, you know, not only could you smell it, but you could feel it. It was like a place of darkness and dreariness. And we get up there and people are just wondering why we're even there. And bugs and flies and maggots crawling all over them. And this was their life. This is where they lived. This is where they slept. This is where they got their food. They just lived in the garbage dump. Psalm 113 verse 7 says that God lifts the needy, and the poor from the garbage dump. And how does he do that? Well, he stoops down to where they are, and he lifts them up. So how do we respond to a verse? You know, if we're going to read Psalm 113 through the lens of Jesus, how do we respond to this? You know, how do we live? I think there's two responses. You know, most of these psalms, the lament psalms, the psalms of thanksgiving, are written from an individual perspective, and then some are from a communal perspective. So let's look at our response from Perspectives, perspectives, a communal perspective. How do we respond to passages like this as a community? You know, we have these seven commitments as a church. This is part of our vision. If you you don't know what our seven commitments are, there's papers back there in the back, and I would encourage you to grab one and look at them and read over them. Our sixth commitment is about our own community, Part of the wording and commitment number six is we want to be a refuge of hope for this community, for the Longview and the greater Longview area. So I'm not saying we interpret Psalms 113 verse 7 and now we go find the city dump. I imagine in the U.S. we may not see the same things we would see in a third world country, but I believe that we can take something from this and learn to see our community through the lens of Jesus. Think about the types of places that Jesus would travel to. He'd go across the lake, and instead of going into town, he would go into the cemetery where the demon-possessed man was. He would go outside of the city where the lepers were, and he would touch them. You know, this is where Jesus reached out to. So for us as a church, we need to constantly be challenged to see our community, not with places of disgust or darkness, but places where we might find God working and raising up and join God in that work. So that's a communal response to this verse, but there's also an individual response. Now I'm going to take Psalm 113, verse 7, I'm going to kind of give it a, a meaning for each individual. Because we have this phrase that we use in our English language, and that phrase is, I'm down in the dumps. You ever use this? You ever feel this? You ever hear somebody else use this phrase? I'm down in the dumps. Usually what we mean by that is you're down emotionally. You're experiencing some emotional pain, maybe a pain in your heart. Maybe you've experienced a tragedy in your life, death in the family, or maybe you have just down about life. We live in a country where the depression rates are higher than ever before. So there's more and more people that will say, I'm down in the dumps. I'm in this pain, this sadness, this depression, and I don't know why. And you experience that. And in my opinion, you read Psalm 113, and this is for you as well, if that's where you're at today. That God stoops down to where you are, and he has a desire to lift you up. And if you want to be lifted up by God, then there's steps that you can take to make room for God. So if you're down in the dumps or you know someone who's down in the dumps, this is a time for to really lean in in prayer. Now, I know prayer is probably just like a typical church answer. You feel bad, you're sad, you're depressed, well then pray more often. But seriously, if you're at a place in your life where you're really hurting and you're experiencing some sadness, this is a time to really press in and lean in towards God to really up your prayer life and draw near to God because it's in those times where you really need Him, where you're really going to grow in your relationship. If you're down in the dumps, it's a time for service. That's a great time to get involved with Caring and Sharing or Highway 80 or one of our missions and go serve. Go serve people because when you're serving others, you're going to find joy in that and you're going to be less likely to think about some of your own sadness. Some of you, though, may be so far down in the dumps and struggling with depression that maybe you just need to go see a counselor, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you've never done that before, go on Google and, and search Pathstones, Longview, and then go find a counselor. But whether it's our community and our mission as a church or you as an individual feeling in the dumps, Psalm tells us God stoops down, He sees us, and He lifts us up. He raises up the poor, and the needy from the garbage dump. Look at Psalms 113, verses 8 and 9, the rest of the Psalms. So I'll read verse 7 again. He raises the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. So he lifts up the poor and treats them like royalty. And in verse 9, he gives the barren women a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So this, the end of Psalm 113, it's this great reversal that takes place. The poor, the people living in the garbage dump, God lifts them up, treats them like royalty. And then in verse 9, you know, a lot of this we'll find in 1 Samuel chapter 2 in Hannah's prayer. And we find elements of this in Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, and then in the life of Jesus. The kingdom bringer Jesus brings the kingdom of God, and he starts the sermons off like Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus brings the kingdom of God with him, and this great reversal takes place, and he lifts the poor from the garbage dump, and he treats them like royalty. There's a lady named Sarah Cummins, who a few years ago was engaged to be married to who she thought was the love of her life. And she wanted to have this fancy feast, this fancy ceremony. So her and her family saved for years. She worked many nights working overtime. And eventually they got to the point where they laid down a $30,000 deposit at the Ritz Charles for the feast, for the wedding. The only problem was it was non-refundable. And then when they got closer to the wedding, they decided to call it off. For whatever reason, it wasn't working out, and it's probably better to call it off then than to try and go ahead and get married. So they decided to call it off, but they had put down a $30,000 deposit that was, they're not getting back. So what do you do with that? Well, she didn't want it to go to waste, so she came up with this idea, and she went to a local homeless shelter, and she had 200 spots for 200 guests. So she invited 200 people who were living at that homeless shelter to show up at the Ritz-Charles that night, And to be treated like royalty. To have a feast there. And I think of this story and that picture. And I think it's a great picture for Psalm 113. That's what God does. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus. As he stoops down and he lifts up. And a great reversal takes place. And he invites us into the same kind of life. So whether you need to take part in that in mission. Or you're in a place where you need to be lifted up. This psalm has deep meaning for us today. This morning, Tony's going to lead us in a few more songs, and we're going to have some shepherds who will be in the back. I'll be up front. One of our shepherds will be up front. If you're at a place where you need prayers, where you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, we just want you to know that you can use this time as an opportunity to respond. Let's stand and continue to sing.